Jubilee, let's go to our Father in prayer. Fathers, we consider this morning once again what your word has to say about children and homes and parenting. We think about the many children in this church family. We very quickly realize we are not sufficient for these things. We pray, Father, that you would do a powerful work in our body to strengthen all those who are investing and loving and serving this next generation that you've entrusted here. We say protect each little life. Guard them. Father, we pray that each one of them would know Jesus and love Jesus and live for Jesus. We pray that you would strengthen parents from seeking to train their children in a Sunday service to the Monday through Sunday routine. Grant that they would look to you and your strength. Help them, encourage them, come alongside them. And Father, we thank you so much for all those in this body that give themselves to, to serve and to bless and to help children out that are not their own. We pray that you'd encourage all of those caregivers, all of those helpers. We say thank you so much for them. They are a gift. Father, for each one of us in this body this day, we recognize that we live in a world with a new cycle that never ends, it seems, always another crisis, another controversy, another reality. We pray this morning, Father, that you would grant us to be still and to know that you are God. To be still and know that you will be exalted in all the earth certain future reality. And as we are still, we recognize there is pain, there are trials that so many in our body face and are going through. And Father, we pray this week that you would draw near to the brokenhearted. Father, we pray that you would lift up the downcast. Father, we pray that you would strengthen the weak and encourage the faint-hearted. Father, we think particularly of Matt and Monica Larson in Sweden. They have faced one trial after another, and now they face another difficult trial. We pray that you would draw near to them. Would you be God for they and their children? Would you be peace? Would you be comfort? Would you be hope for them? Father, we thank you for the work that's being done to love and serve children in need of a home, and we do pray for the Krapels and the Shavestes. Pray for the Millers that you would strengthen and encourage them in this work and just show us as a church how to continue to support and encourage families seeking to love in this way. We pray that you'd continue to strengthen and encourage those seeking to adopt children and those giving themselves to ministry to children in so many different ways across this body. Father, we're thankful for Wilma's testimony. We're thankful that you have been faithful over years, over decades, and over centuries. And you didn't start working when we showed up, but you have been at work long before we got here on this corner. And we pray and trust that you will be at work long after we leave this corner. But we say thank you for a heritage and a testimony of your faithfulness on the corner of 16th and 33rd for so many years years. Father, grant that Jubilee Community Church would endure, would endure healthy, focused on the cross of Christ for the next generation to come. And Father, as we now turn to open your word, we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart that we might behold wonderful things from your word. We need you. Come and meet each one of us with just what we need. We are weak. You are strong. Father, would you address us by your Holy Spirit and grant us to see Jesus, we pray. 
in his mighty name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Thank you for praying with me. I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians, the last chapter, chapter 6. And we are going to be back in those first four verses we were in last week. And then we'll hand this off to Lou, and he will pick up next couple of weeks, continuing to march us towards the end of this great book, this book of Ephesians. But our sermon text this morning, again, is the first four verses of Ephesians chapter 6. So I invite you to open your Bibles there, get one in the pew in front of you if you don't have one, and I ask that you all please rise for the reading of the inspired, inerrant Word of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. You can have a seat. This morning we want to think about God's heart for children. Fortunately, you don't need to look further than about 12 inches to see one of those said children that God has a heart for. They are many and various and at times at Jubilee seemingly omnipresent. Children are amazing. Every new life, that little body with little wiggly toes and little wiggly fingers and all kinds of squishy spots, helpless and needy and crying and dirtying diapers. And every single person in this room started out the exact same way. Even if you feel old, none of us was born old. We're all born little, squishy, helpless. Remember the electric, almost supernatural moment of meeting each one of my children for the first time. Really amazing. It's powerful according to God's design. And yet, with all of that wonder as more and more children are given to us by our Father, at Jubilee, it is easy to begin to lose the wonder and instead wonder, who is that? And with whom have they come? And how many more, Lord, will you give us? And as a society, the same thing has happened repeatedly throughout history. Scripture says that children are a gift from the Lord, but frequently they only become a burden or a nuisance, or a noisy one, or a choice. Last week we considered the larger context that our text finds itself in, going back to Ephesians 5 verse 18, if you'll remember, thinking about how those who are parents must understand their calling as parents, as those who are first themselves weak and those who need the ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit day after day, just as every Christian does in weakness, needing to be filled with the Spirit. And that is true for those who are married, those who are single, those with children, and those without. But in each one of these offices, in each one of these seasons of life, Ephesians 5.18 tells us we need to go on, morning by morning, being filled with the Spirit. And this is certainly true in the challenging call to parent. Yet as we saw last week, and as we see again this week in this very short text, there is remarkably little detail that addresses all the complexities that parenting entails, all the many questions that arise in our minds about the raising of children. There is not much right here, and so we are reminded 
the chapter 4 and chapter 5, which are built on the, the powerful doctrine that we, we saw of who God is and what he has done in 1, 2, and 3, all are this building argument that much of what we need in the raising of children is much of what we need, all of us, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, which is in 4, it's in 5, and not only here, but in 6, it doesn't stop here. It continues, and as we will see, the great climactic final passage in a couple of weeks that Lou will begin us in reminds us, as we we think of the, the context of where we're at here, turn your eyes down to verse 10 when it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of the of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We're reminded we are in a battle. The raising of children is a battle. And marriage is a, a, a battle. And they're all happening within this context of a great cosmic spiritual battle. For the Christian life is war. The world and our culture and our country, it is not saying, go, go, follow Jesus. Go, go, stay faithful in marriage. Go, go, serve and love your children and grow them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's not. It's working against it. The powers of this world seeking to undermine all that is good and right and all that makes much of Jesus. And so the Christian life is war, whether single or married, whether with children or not. In each case, the enemy of our soul seeks to deceive and derail. And in each case, we need this the weapon of truth, which is the sword of the Spirit to fight against lies and against chaos and against disorder and all the pathways that lead to destruction. For around us, when we look, we think about families and homes and parenting, it's not hard to see wreckage from broken lives and broken relationships and broken marriages and broken homes. And if we're honest and take a little time, we can share the scars and the war wounds in this room that many of us have experienced. And yet the war doesn't just rage out there and it doesn't just rage in our past, it rages also within our very lives. And so as we think about this theme in its context, we recognize that this war first starts with the individual, with the father, with the mother, whom the enemy would seek to deceive, would seek to lead, to encourage them to give way to sin, to harden their hearts, to continue in, in a path of unrighteousness. So the call this morning is knowing that all of us will sin. We must be those who are those who repent and turn. For Jubilee, when we give ourselves to unrighteousness, then evil enters the home and bad and bitter fruit springs forth. And from the beginning, the enemy of our soul has been seeking to kill and destroy children. As he did through Pharaoh and all those little Hebrew babies, as he did through Pilate and all those little boys, so he does today, seeking to destroy families and marriages and healthy parenting relationships. So we are here this morning to fight with faith, faith in Jesus who is our righteousness as his people seeking his spirit to put sin to death together. And it is our great desire that imperfectly, weakly, we will together live according to what God has set forth and that God will, through our faith-filled lives, bear fruit here and out from here for the joy of many. That He would daily lead us in His pathway of righteousness and His pathway of joy. We begin in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Remember years ago, we had little refrigerator magnets we got from the nursery at Bethlehem, and one of the verses we taught our children 
when they could barely speak was this one. And it's a, it's a good one. It's important. Just, just order of things. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 1 is a call to obey. Children are to obey their parents. As we said last week, your children may not, we don't know where they all are in their, their faith, but they are called to obey wherever they are from early days. This is the first reality, first thing we're given. And we're reminded that with this first instruction, all of these instructions are God showing us the pathway of order, the, the, the picture of order. There's an order in marriage, as we talked about last few weeks, and there's an order in the home. And it's good. And it leads to prospering. It leads to joy. So children need parents by God's design, and children need parents to teach them to obey. Children need to obey. When this gets missed, you've been to that house, You've been in Target next to that family. It's chaos, and it's loud, and it's stressful, and it's difficult. And yet, this doesn't come with a snap of the fingers, does it? It's a call for parents to teach children to obey. And this is a call, just as parents teach children to obey, that this models for us we as children are to obey our Father. Why? Remember what Jesus said about obedience? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love the Father, you will obey him. So in our relationship with our Father, we obey him as an act of love, as an act of service. If we say we love God, but we disobey his commands, Jesus said, your profession is false. It's not true. And so, so it is for us, so in a Christian home, obedience is expected, it is taught, and it is to be enforced, as we said last week, with discipline. However, it is a discipline not to be rooted in anger. It is a discipline to be rooted in love with a heart that desires the peaceful fruit of righteousness that discipline brings. And when, by God's grace, children learn to obey as a pattern and learn to do so more quickly than more slowly, it leads to a much more peaceful home. You say, okay, that sounds pretty straightforward. And yet suddenly, if we had time for questions at this moment, all kinds of hands would go up. Yeah, but what about what does this really look like in real life? Well... It requires patience. It requires great patience. And it requires more patience than you have, which means you need God's help. It also requires diligence. Training children is not child's play. It's work. It is hard work. It is serious work. I don't know about you, but that's not really what I want. What I want is what I want, and when I want it is right now. So this pushes me. This pushes me. I don't want to be patient, and I don't want to be diligent if I'm honest. But I'm reminded that what Paul Tripp says is true. Parenting is much more process than event. Parenting is much more process than event. It is an ongoing work. Then you say, but pastor, I don't have kids. What, uh, discipleship is much more process than event, right? What do you mean by that? It doesn't happen in a moment. It's this ongoing process, much like our progressive sanctification. And here's where we get the right perspective about parenting. Because when I have children in my home and I'm trying to parent them very quickly, I can think, okay, I'm the expert, I'm going to do this, I'm in charge. But God is constantly reminding me in this relationship, there's this other relationship of father and child that is shaping and impacting this relationship. 
How patient is my Father with me? How much patience is required with me? How much of a process is my growth in grace? When I think that way, I am reminded that my Father has persevered with great patience with this thick-headed knucklehead, and I'm reminding, reminded what parenting and training is to be. And this patience is true for all of our investments in children, whether parenting, whether at JYC, wherever it is. So thankful that Wilma came today. Wasn't that a powerful story? For Wilma to come and share, 50 years she was at Powderhorn Park Baptist Church. Love that. And as she mentioned, one of the things they did at that church was had Awana, which is a, a children's Bible program in the basement. As she mentioned, one of the young people that was among this large group of, of Hmong families that came, one of those was mentioned was Ka. So here's the, here's the, 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 the back story a little bit with Ka. If you don't know, one of our elders several years ago loved member and loved family of this church was Jahil Richards, and Jahil married Ka. So years ago, uh, Wilma, you mentioned that that day in the parking lot. I just got, got to tell this story because it was remarkable. Uh, Melissa Thomas, are you here? I don't know if she's here. Okay. She and Ka were sitting next to one another, and this is the first time I ever met Ka. We're having a, a Wednesday evening service out in the parking lot out in the parking lot, and, and she tells me Ka's story very briefly, that she has recently come to Christ, that, that she had grown up going to Awana in this church for year after year after year, heard the gospel year after year after year, didn't trust Jesus, walked in rebellion for many years, and then God brought her to himself. And so that evening, I said, Ka, would you share your testimony? And it was on the spot. It was way too rushed. And she did. It, well, when I asked her, I first asked Melissa, and I said, would Ka share her testimony? She said, now? I said, yeah, now. And, and then she turns to Ka, and Ka looks and says, now? I said, yeah. And then Ka says, well, actually, I do have it written in poetic form in my car. I could get it. Should I do that? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Do that. And when she shared it, it was like a bomb from God went off. It was so powerful. She'd walk through pain and abuse, and yet those seeds sown in patience, in perseverance, as she was a child, grew up, even though it was a slower path than any of us would have wanted, to blossom into this beautiful faith that not only uh, started there, but has continued in a, a wonderful growth in grace in a wonderful woman of God. And so we're reminded that, that this work with children takes great patience because one sows, another reaps, but it's God who brings the growth. Reminded of years ago of, of being in junior high ministry, Bethlehem Baptist, and, and, and not, no kind of ministry requires greater patience and greater understanding that God is at work than junior high ministry, right? Because you invest in these squirrely seventh graders, and you're trying to talk to them about great things and marvelous things and high doctrine, and, and, and you get done, and what do you think about that, and what do you get? Ugh. What, what is that? Can you use a word or something? grunt, noise, and then one guy says something like fart, and everybody cracks up laughing, and you go, what am I doing? God, take me away, please, just to another place. And yet, again and again, you see seed sowing ministry done with patience, done with persevering faith. God brings a fruit of righteousness that is beautiful. And so as we saw with marriage, so it is with parenting when we think, okay, what's at the center of this? The whole point is that we're looking to Christ, we're seeking to grow like Christ, and yet we fall short day by day 
but we abide in him, knowing apart from him we can do nothing. But it is Christ who we teach, Christ who we proclaim. Because even as we're teaching to obey, we recognize obedience is not the ultimate goal. Yet, obedience is necessary along the way. For without it, there's chaos. Verse 1 continues. Doesn't stop. Children, obey your parents. Period. What's the next phrase? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now this is really, really important. This is really, really important because the heart of obedience in children is rooted in obedience to King Jesus. This means that Christ is to have a higher allegiance than parents, than governing authorities, than masters, than bosses. We'll see later section, see in previous section. So if parents are asking children to disobey and dishonor God, then there is a major problem. Now here's where this becomes very practical and very important. See, God gives authority. God has order in the home, in a marriage, in a church. There's authority and there's order, and it's good. But it's always authority given as a stewardship and always a stewardship that is to honor Him. He is Lord. Every relationship is rightly understood as it relates to the relationship to King Jesus. Therefore, authority, which is given to all of us in different measure, authority is to be used as unto the Lord, and it's to be used like Christ used His authority. Because all authority was given to Christ, and yet He used it to lead to serve, and to love. That authority is not to be used for wickedness. It is not to be used for sin. It is never to be used to abuse or to harm or to misuse. And yet, men and women in their sinfulness are prone to misuse authority. This becomes very important for our current situation, current place in our culture. So why it's so important that Christians do not live lives of isolation. They are to live together as a body where help is to be found when authority starts being misused, that others can see, others can speak, others can intervene, that help can be found for children, or married ones, or those in a church where there is a crisis. And yet, in this sinful world, over and over again, authority has been misused. It's been misused in the home. It's been misused in the church. This week, the Houston Chronicle published an important report on hundreds and hundreds of instances of abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention, which we joined a couple of years ago. Instances where churches hired men, most often, of very problematic character and allowed abuse to continue. Abuse was covered up time and time again and not dealt with appropriately. Now, many instances where things were handled very well, but Far too many instances where they were not. This is serious. Let me be very clear. Jesus never calls us to cover things up. He never calls us to sweep things under the rug, to hide sin away and pretend it didn't happen. Instead, God calls us to protect the vulnerable, to guard the weak, to guard children, to put in place procedures and plans that protect the most vulnerable among us. And we at Jubilee are very passionate in our desire to protect children and hold 
the community together to standards of integrity and care and concern. We are committed as a church to work for this protection and the well-being of every child and every person that is here. And yet we recognize, we live in a world that's broken. We recognize that each of us is a sinner. So we must be very intentional with steps that guard and protect and help. I'm very thankful for the work of Pastor Toph, who's downstairs with the kids, for the work of Becca and other key leaders who have been working to put protocols and plans in place that make Jubilee safer. Whether it's putting in windows in almost every door in this church or wristbands and nurseries or the endless amount of background checks that are done, all is done in an effort to guard and love our children. But together, Jubilee, we must be so vigilant in our homes and as a church. As we all know, systems aren't perfect. But we work together, trusting God, asking for His help in this. Side note, if you are here this morning, friend, and you have suffered from some misuse of authority, if you have suffered the pain of abuse in some way, and you have not been able to share that or talk about that with someone, know that there are sisters and brothers in this church who are ready to listen, to weep with you, to pray with you, and to seek healing from our Lord Jesus. If you want, put a request in that little offering box back there, just a little prayer request. Say, can someone call me? Can someone talk to me? Or pursue a member here. But know that no one needs suffer alone. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He draws near to the hurting. So Jubilee, it's our prayer that this generation of children and youth, with God's help, would be protected in this world where there are so many pitfalls and landmines. So we think about these things. We think, what, what does it look like to relate to children? Again, we look to Christ. We remember that Christ, when the disciples shunned the little children from coming to him, he said, no, come, let, let the little children come unto me. Then remember, Jesus warned about behavior towards little children. Remember what he said? He said, if anyone would cause a little one to stumble, a little one of these, it would be better that a millstone would be hung around their neck and cast into the sea to do this. So as we, we think about children and this relationship we have with children, this is so important that we understand that, that, that Christ is calling us to build a culture here that values children that sees them as precious, but also a culture that protects children and seeks to model the love of Jesus so that Christ would be honored in this church and in our homes, knowing that it's a great deal of work. Every child, they require great investment, and yet each one is given as a tremendous stewardship. So Jubilee, I'm thankful that by God's grace, He's given you a great love and heart to serve. I'm grateful for so many of you that have poured yourself out in so many different ways. Just for a moment before we go on, could you raise your hand if you have done child care in someone's home, if you've served in the nursery, if you've served at JYC, if you've served in Sermons for Saplings? Just raise your hand if you've done any of those things. We just want to say thank you to all of you who serve so well in this body. Amen. But if you say, Pastor, um, as we're talking about children and, 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 and parenting, why do you keep pointing to Christ? Why, when, when you mention children obey parents or, or parents and marriage the last couple of weeks, isn't there more we can get to? Can we get beyond the ABCs? Friends, I'm here to tell you that as you go through this book of Ephesians, from chapter 1 to chapter 2 to chapter 5, and here in chapter 6, 
in every area of our lives. What this book makes plain is that Christ is central. He is not the ABC. He is the A to Z. And if our parenting and our home is rooted in His glory and His beauty and His lordship, then a lot of those other details will work themselves out. But if He is not, then all that we do will be done trying to get the right list and keep the right list and do the right list. That said, there are many, many important details and practical steps that we need, and so the Bible calls older women to mentor the younger and older men to mentor the younger. Practical bit of of, uh, application there. As you begin the journey of, of raising children, look out for older folks that you can ask questions of. So, so important. Because parenting at its heart requires figuring out a lot of practical things, but at its heart it is not a matter of list keeping. At its heart it is living out a relationship of life and worship with our King. David Paulison says it like this, we humans are fiercely resistant to seeing ourselves as God sees us. The breaking of our resistance to that light opens the door to God's goodness, intimacy, and grace. Let me say this again because this is so central to understanding parenting rightly. We humans fiercely resist seeing ourselves as God sees us. The breaking of our resistance to that light opens the door to God's goodness, intimacy, and grace. You see, if we believe Ephesians 5, 1 to be true, that we are beloved children, then we walk in love. And everything about our parenting changes. If we have this, we have life. If we don't, if we believe our Father to be impatient and constantly disappointed with us, then we will in turn be impatient and constantly disappointed with our children. But this reality is what empowers us to grow in all the practical, important details of parenting. Move on. Verses 2 and 3. We'll cover this much more quickly, and then we will close with some points of application. Verses 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother. Quoting here from Exodus 20, as God gives the Ten Commandments. Then this note is added, this is the first commandment with a promise. That is, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So first we teach this to our children. We teach them that they are to honor your father and your mother. Then we add that there is a promise attached to this commandment. So I have asked my children many times, do you want your life to go well? Answer, of course. Great. Well, God says obedience to this command leads to that blessing and that promise. Honor your father and your mother. But very quickly, as we teach this to our children, what happens? We realize, oh, this applies to me as well. And each of us then must consider, what does it mean for me to honor father and mother? And as many people as there are in this room, as many stories as there are about how honoring father and mother is really easy in some cases and really, really hard and challenging in so many others. Instances of not even knowing who my father is. Instances of hard pain, harsh words. What do we do with that? Well, there are no easy answers to that question. But it does begin with the desire to say, God, I want to honor you. Help me to honor my father and my mother. And then we work it out in community, talking about what that looks like. Because as children who are little obey their parents, they do so in the Lord. And so we, as we grow older, honor our parents. Parents in the Lord, as unto the Lord. 
And sometimes that means drawing boundaries. Sometimes that means setting a place of balance because there are to be no tyrants. There is an order of accountability and we are not to give ourselves to be run over time and time again. But as children are called to obey parents, we are called, all of us, to honor father and mother. But we are reminded in all of this that responsibility, authority is given as a stewardship. And all of us have a degree of accountability to one another. We live in a web of of, of interconnected relationships where sin should not run roughshod over anyone. We help one another find that way of health, that way of life. Pointed to this a couple weeks ago. Go back and see this one more time, and then we'll get to applications. Verse 5, or chapter 5, rather, verse 21. Before this section on children and parents, before the section on husbands and wives, remember what 521 says. It says that we are to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean again? It means that we're to submit to the authorities that God has given, which means all of us are living lives of submission to the authorities God's put, one of which is healthy church leadership. None of us in control. All of us submitting to healthy leadership. And that, friends, is a guard God has put from any of these things being abused or any of these things running away in a direction that is not helpful. So much we can say on this theme. So few uh, details here. We're all uh, wanting more if we're parents and trying to figure this out. I want to do four applications here at the, the end of this message. Um, maybe one of them will land on you, one of them. I hope is helpful for you. All of these you can discuss at your missional life group or at lunch this afternoon, just working this out. What does this look like? But the first application is to be reminded that the call here to parents is a call to gospel parenting. One of the hardest things about being a parent is one of the hardest things about being a pastor, which is constantly feeling like, God, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. You need someone more holy more godly, more patient, more loving, more something than this person. And all of you will feel that as you embark on parenting and discipleship, right? But the gospel reminds us that none of us is righteous. All of us blow it. And so we begin by repenting, and then we move on to looking at Jesus. And as we walk as followers... That is, as disciples of Christ, we draw those behind us, whether our children or those whose lives we're investing in, and we say, come with me in all of my imperfection. Come with me as I repent of my sin. Come with me as I confess sin, as I look to Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And day by day, seeking to live as Psalm 1 people, meditating on that law of the Lord, looking to his promises, believing. God changes us. One person, one family, one church, little by little by little by little. So what's the call? The call is to gospel parenting, living out the gospel in our own hearts, just as we saw in Deuteronomy 6 last week. Second application. The text here is calling us to teach obedience. Obedience is essential. But the goal of Christian parenting is to parent the heart. In Proverbs, the the writer of Proverbs says, my son, give me your heart. The second thing we must be reminded of is the call to parent, just as the call to disciple is a call to pursue the heart. The thing I need for my children more than I need Outward obedience is a heart that is changed, a heart that desires to honor father and mother, a heart that wants to obey parents in the Lord. That's what we're pursuing, and that makes this work challenging. 
that makes this work difficult. And it makes it difficult in an age as we seek to, to, to parent that heart and shepherd that heart in, in an age where screens are everywhere. And screens are calling our, our children to, to pursue this and that. And, and so, so parents, we have this huge call to figure out how do we use technology? How do we navigate all of this? So much is accessible to our kids. And all the while, we're saying, my son, my daughter, give me your heart. This is the way. Walk in it. This is the pathway of joy. This is the pathway of destruction over here. Don't go here. Don't go here. You say, what does this look like? Well, Paul says in in 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, I was with you like a nursing mother, tender, gentle, affectionate, willing to give you my very life. And so we say, my son, give me your heart as a mother does with gentleness, with care, with affection, saying Jesus is the way. Remember years ago having a mother who did that for me, which was so precious even before I was a believer. What does this look like? It looks like what Paul goes on to say. Paul, this single man, talking about what a mother does, what a father does. We all can use these models. They're all helpful. But he goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 2, And like a father, I exhorted you. I encouraged you. I challenged you. I said, follow Christ. You say, well, what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, I remember years ago coaching uh, one of my boys on a basketball team at Stewart Park. A bunch of 12-year-old young guys. They were little, little guys. We went through our year, had a pretty good year. We got to the end of the, the season and we were able to play in the championship game. Well, most games we went to, there are a handful of parents. For whatever reason, at this championship game in North Minneapolis, the gym was packed. Standing room only around the whole thing. And then we saw the team we were to play, and we said, oh my. They were big. They had kids over six feet. They had one kid who was 6'4", and we are a bunch of squirrely little 12-year-olds, and we were going, what on earth do we do? So I remember thinking, what is the coaching plan here? Well, the coaching plan was to exhort like a father. And it was to believe in those kids before they believed in themselves, saying, all right, guys, we're going to play hard. We're going to hustle. We're going to do the best we can. Let's go get them. We can do this. And we went out there, and we got behind the whole game. We kept calling timeout, saying, you can do this. No, no, we can't. They're too big. You can do this. No, no, we can't. You can do this. And friends, this is a picture of what discipleship and parenting looks like. Because as that game went on all year, we'd had a rule, no three-point shooting. Because these guys are all so small, they could do that again. And so everybody wants to shoot three-pointers and be Steph Curry. We said, none of that. Well, we got into that game with 6-4 in the middle. We said, all right, start shooting them from wherever you can shoot them. And suddenly guys that had shot all year are shooting them and they're making them and we're going, all right, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. We get all the way down to the end. The last minute, we tie the score and it heads to overtime. We get in that huddle. You can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And then in overtime, we hit a shot with less than two seconds left. And we took the lead. And it was beautiful. And then they hit a circus shot and won. <laughs> However, at Broadway Pizza, we felt like champs. And that's how life goes. And that's what parenting looks like. So often saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. And that's discipleship. It's parenting. It's what God's called us to do. Application number three. Katie mentioned it well earlier. Jubilee, we are just praying and saying, God, would you bring an end to the number of waiting children in Minnesota who are waiting without homes? Those who used to be called orphans now are in what we call in the foster care system. But we're just praying, God, continue to bless this work of seeking to love children in foster care. Continue to bless the work of adoption. Exciting when God provides for families to be able to do that. Each one of us is limited. 
No one's called to be Superman at all. And yet each one can do our little part to support and love and pray. I was meeting with some of those who are leading this cause last week, and one of them shared a poem. And because she's not here, I think it's okay to read this poem for you. And I'm sure she would say it much better than I will, but this is from Madeline Shavesty. She wrote this poem called Too Hard for Me. Here's how it goes. Taking a baby or a kid, ugh, all the things I'd need to get rid, the sacrifices I'd have to make and the time this child would take, they're already too wounded and scarred. I couldn't do it. This is just too hard for me. You have your bellies full three times a day, a bed every night for your head to lay. You have a family and friends and a handful of people to support you. If only you could see the riches in front of you. Turn your eyes to this baby who from conception was introduced to deception. What poison filled her veins is only a foretaste of what is to come, pain. What should have been a home of peace was only a space that was laced with more than any baby should face, running the race with disgrace. And when she exits that place, still too early, earlier than expected, the high cries and trembles invoke her to be tested, tested positive for hurt and destructive properties that have embedded in her tiny frame. No, this is not a game. In this world she came, knowing not love or peace, with nothing to gain. So sitting with bellies full and laughing, there's a baby lying alone in a NICU cage. I should be anguished and enraged that this baby who knows not love but only pain and strife is lying there without having someone to point them to the one who gave them life. You are not so different than she. For God first it looked you, for when God first looked at you, he saw not the brokenness but the beauty. In this calamity, I will redeem frail humanity. He said, though you cost me my life, you are not too hard for me. So having Jesus in mind, relying in his strength and leaving yours behind, you can say with certainty, little child, you too are not too hard for me. Amen? This is hard. God is good. We look to him. Last point of application. All of this is done day by day, little bit by little bit. Parenting is a process. It is not an event. And so we printed some catechisms there on the table right through there. We would encourage you to take your children through the catechisms. There's one for younger children. There's one for older children. This is the one for younger children. This is the one for older children. It starts with simple questions like, who made you? God. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. And we began teaching our children the way of God because we live in a world of chaos and, 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 and all kinds of untruth, and we must build up our children in the truth. Because though society might dismiss or devalue children, we understand that Psalm 127 is true. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And so day by day, we carve and we whittle and we shape these arrows and we pray, God, shoot them straight and shoot them true, little by little, day by day.